Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to another episode of our podcast. Today we are delighted to have Brother Tamim joining us back for another episode. For those who, who don't remember, Tamim and I spoke on the topic of transhumanism and the threat that it may entail towards the human species. And so I would highly recommend everybody give that a watch um, as well. But Brother Tamim is doing his PhD at Oxford University and the, his specialties is in the realm of psychology um, and also in the realm of media, uh, which will be extremely pertinent to, to today's discussion. Thank you for joining us, Tamim. Thank you very much for having me again, Brother Ahmed. It's a pleasure to be back. It's always a pleasure to speak to you. So today we're going to speak about a topic which is not spoken about enough, but I believe is one of the most pertinent one in every age, but especially in our age because of the rise of social media and the rise of media. And it's the topic known as social engineering. And when I mention social engineering, uh, I'm referring to the ways and the methods that people in people typically in power use to shape public opinion. Um, and this is something which governments do, which medias do, school curriculums do. There's always this agenda to try to quote unquote brainwash people into believing their own ideologies or how they want to shape public opinion for the future. And so just to start off, I want to read a quote um, from the spokesperson of the White House by uh, Jen Saki. I believe that's how I pronounce her last name. But she said that the White House, quote, the White House is dictating to social media companies who they should ban and what content they should remove. And essentially what she's getting at is that the White House is trying to shape public opinion through using the mediums of media, curriculums, social media companies such as Facebook and Instagram. I mean, what else are they going to do with all that data? Um, and so it's, it's important to just first recognize that there is this agenda happening. Whether or not it's a good or bad thing is something perhaps maybe later we'll discuss. But the fact that it is happening is something that we should be wary of. Because if we reflect on our life for a moment, it would be interesting to see which beliefs we have because we've arrived at them or because these institutions or these people in power have, uh, have, sh have shaped our opinion through using these mediums. So uh, with that, Tamim, you know, uh, I'll let you steer the conversation. Sure. There was a few key points there that you mentioned that I think are really important. I think one of them, Brother Ahmed, is that this tends to be something that happens in most societies. People try to disseminate their own values and their own norms. And I think that's something that's quite natural. What's maybe unprecedented is the power and the tools available today for certain narratives to be pushed um, that maybe aren't as well indigenous um, to different parts of the world. Um, I think when we're talking about the White House, I think she's now, I think she's stepping aside, uh, Jen Psaki. Mm -hmm. um, she's talking about a hard intervention where they're actually asking social media companies to completely ban people. I would say that it's a very, you know, hard way of looking at it. Before we get to that stage, I think it's important that we as media consumers be mindful of the much softer, much more nuanced ways that certain ideas are being pushed um, without necessarily banning, you know, resorting to banning, although we've seen banning. So just as an example, some of the softer ways of doing this is playing with algorithms, which we know happens. I've had a lot of friends anecdotally, not just friends, people I've, you know, people I follow or watch on social media anecdotally mention how whenever they post about certain causes, they get much less exposure. And I think the social media companies are quite open about that. So you've got Jen Psaki talking about banning people. And I think it's good that we know that that's something that's happening. But way before that, there's a lot of degrees um, of interventions that are much more nuanced. And because they're more nuanced, maybe we're not aware of their influence on us um, that are shaping our attitudes, our norms, and I think ultimately our behavior as well. And it's interesting because, you know, you mentioned that this has happened within every society, but now social media has, you know, one of my favorite quotes, perhaps my favorite quote, quotes from Malcolm X, rahimahullah, may Allah have mercy on him, is that the media is the most powerful entity on the planet because it can make the good people look like the villains 
and it can make the villains look like the heroes. And so when we think about the word power, we often think about governments. We think about military. But the most powerful entity in reality is media because media shapes everything. And what's interesting is that um, not so much in the U.S. At least, uh, at least I don't. Uh, at least I, I can't recall. But in many places in the Muslim world, in Europe, in Canada, the 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 government has its own state uh, media media organization. So, like in Canada, we have CBC, which is funded by the government. Um, in Turkey, you have TRT World. Um, in in the peninsula, you have Al Jazeera and so forth. And so those ones you should especially be wary about because they're essentially just propagating the government's ideology and everything the government is, is, uh, is, uh, I mean, you should be careful about all of them, but those ones, you know, you know where their narrative is coming from. That's what I'm trying to say. Everybody has a narrative, but you know, that's where theirs, theirs is coming from. Sure. You know, disclaimer, before I push back on that point, I used to work for Al Jazeera, <laughs> <laughs> but you're very right. We need to be aware of, where this funding is coming from. And I would actually, and again, maybe this is my own bias, but I would say actually when we know that the BBC is funded by the British taxpayer and the government has some kind of say in, you know, enforcing neutrality on them, I think that's better than when we don't know where the money's coming from. We don't know what the agenda is, to be honest. And I think when we know that, okay, so I know that when Al Jazeera talks about the internal affairs of Qatar, that, okay, I'm going to take this with a pinch of salt. This is not going to be the most critical or transparent reportage. But I, again, this is my bias. Maybe I do think uh -huh. outside of Qatar, their reporting is very good. But the same with the BBC. I know that they're, when they're, whenever the Jubilee is going to come up, they're going to you know increase their coverage of the Jubilee and make it very favorable towards the royal family. It's when, for example, Netflix is producing content with very strong very pointed social ideas hmm. and i don't really know what their agenda is i think that's really where our focus should be in terms of trying to pick apart what is being produced what the message might be and what the norms uh, or the values that are being championed by this might mean for us as hmm. muslims as you know as as maybe non-white as whatever it might be um, it's, I think that's really where, you know, I think our focus should be. And that's probably where most of my attention has, has gone, because I think when it comes to like the politics of, okay, uh, you know, the Emirates is going to fund uh, Sky News Arabia. So they're going to be leaning towards this and that topic and CNN, or I'm not sure if CNN, I don't think there is any government funding of CNN, but Rupert Murdoch, for example, I know his political politics is going to come through in terms of Fox News. I think that's where a lot of our folks used to be. I'm, I think, mm -hmm. more concerned now with social values that are being pushed in media. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe, a, there, there's two different topics there, I guess. There's kind of political values or political positions. And I think as a community, Muslims are very aware of that. When it comes to actually social values, I think there's more, still we're waking up to what that might be doing to our communities. Mm -hmm. and our, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, that, that's an excellent point. Right. For political for political views, it's something that perhaps are easier to identify, but with social and, you know, we're going to get to um, Daniel Kahneman's work uh, on this topic. So I'll save some points for there. But, you know, what's very interesting right now. I don't know if you've been uh, watching uh, Miss Marvel. Um, Miss Marvel. Unfortunately, I haven't. So I knew I should really watch it, but I couldn't find a way to watch it here. I've, I've picked up tidbits on social media about people commenting on it. I'm sure if I watched it, none of it would be too surprising. But can you uh, okay. enlighten me a little bit about your take on it or what you what you think? So we're going to have to uh, pause the podcast until you watch it. And then we can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, it's, uh... it's, quite, it's quite a big blind spot from my end. But I'm sure you can fill us into the, to the, the key areas of it. Because, you know, you mentioned this, this beautiful point of when you have, for example, like when governments, right? When something happens between Israel or Israel and Palestine, I know CBC is not going to get fair coverage or BBC or CNN, uh, particularly uh, the former two. But that's because you know that there is funding. There is a relationship between, you know, the Zionist lobby group and these media companies. But now when you have something like Netflix, you mentioned, and you don't know what exactly they're doing, you have to just be a bit skeptic. So uh, or even something like Marvel. So right now, you know, I'm watching Miss Marvel and 
I'm not sure why they want to give a platform to a Muslim woman to be a Marvel, a Muslim, a Muslim woman, teenage girl to be uh, a hero who saves the world. Is it because they're trying to expand their um, audience by trying to get minority groups and therefore, um, uh, therefore increase their viewership? Maybe. Or is there an, an implicit agenda that they have within the show that is going to you know, embark and uh, instill these social values into largely teens who are watching it. Um, and so I'm like, I've been watching it so far and, you know, largely I've been, you know, I'm, I'm having, I'm enjoying it. Uh, this is three episodes in like I, there's maybe a couple tiny things where I can see, you know, I can see they're trying to embark, uh, instill some social values. For example, there's one scene where the main character is walking in the hallway and there's these two classmates of hers who are kissing, both females, at her locker. And she goes, you know, she goes to her locker, she grabs her stuff, and as she leaves, she tells them, she says, you know, um, I'm rooting for you guys. And she walks away. Something very implicit, something which won't make the headlines, but it's just something that, you know, you're slowly catching these tidbits. And also, what's, you know, one thing I love about the show, I, I will say this openly. I'm not saying I love the show, but I'm saying one thing I love is they're doing an excellent job at teaching subcontinent history and what the British did to India. And so through stories of the mother to the daughter, there's always this reference to how the British screwed over India, how they led to the partition, how they caused the famine. And as somebody who did a, a degree in history um, at a notable university, it's interesting because in one of the scenes, um, the main character's friend she complains about the curriculum that's being taught. And she says that we spent six weeks on Roman history, but we spent six minutes on Persian history. And she mm. says, history is written by the oppressors. So like you can catch, you can catch these tidbits. With, there, there are many of these tidbits within the show um, that, I've, that I've been able to pick up. Um, and so from, from, from that angle, I find it very interesting because I can see what they're trying to uh, 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 instill in people and so when i asked my brother and i asked him what he thought of the show um and i asked him you know about the british empire he just relayed those talking points that he learned in the show yeah right you know i'm i'm happy to hear that i i, I i'm gonna watch it once it becomes available i can I, I like the fact you're getting positive experience from it but i think within the, what you just told me there's something maybe important to the conversation is that there is scope there's an increasing amount of scope for political or historical yeah. uh, different viewpoints. You're saying that the show is accurately representing, you know, what the British did to South, to, to, to South Asia. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to social values, I think that's where there isn't any scope. Mm -hmm. And you would be very, it would be very difficult to find normative Islamic values being promoted in a lot of the shows that are made today. Whereas there seems to be an increasing amount of allowance for more accurate political and historical portrayals. And I think mm. then we need to ask ourselves as Muslims, is our main goal political, a political, historical uh -huh. one, is it like that? Or is actually our goal more related to religious, social values within our religion? Allahu alam, that's a big, big, big conversation. But I will say in just another point about why, so you're saying why Miss Marvel, why are they, why is there more representation? So I think on one hand, you're, you're right, it's a very benign or even positive you know, um, corporate uh, drive to you know widen their you know their 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 consumer base and maybe to be more authentic as well. But I, I can't comment about whether there's an ulter ulterior motive. Mm -hmm. What I can comment on is this makes it more effective for the consumer if your if your target audience is young Muslims. So mm -hmm. whether we're talking about from I guess we're going to talk about a little behavioral science. Behavioral science, they talk about similarity in messengers. So a character can be a messenger with a message. And if that messenger is more similar to the target, they're more effective. Now, even before the field of behavioral science, we have social cognitive theory, Albert Bandura, who passed away, mm -hmm. I guess, last year. His famous Bobo doll experiment, basically, it was one of the groundbreaking studies in psychology. And it, it, it was one of the, I guess, the red flags in terms of violence on TV. Basically, he put children, he, he showed children videos of a doll being beaten up 
and then he put children in a room with the doll. And of course, what you would find is children tend to model. Yeah. On, yes. So when you're modeling, when you're presenting something on TV that's a model, certainly Albert Bandura and other people, I hope we have time to talk about, they'll talk about how when the model is similar to the person watching at home, it makes it more effective in delivering a message. So mm -hmm. is there an ulterior motive? That's a huge question. I've never spent any time investigating it scientifically. I think it's important to really you know, be rigorous when it comes to this, but certainly from the literature and psychology, if you want to shape people's thoughts, and you know, ultimately their behaviors, having more representation of them on screen is a very effective way of doing that. Hmm. You know, and I, I'm still thinking about this, this topic of the difference between, you know, when it comes to political values in TV shows, we're so down with it, right? Oh, it's easy. It's easy to condemn China for what they're doing with the Weavers. It's easy to condemn what's happening in Yemen. It's easy to I condemn even, Palestine, even, right? Yeah, I mean, Israel, sorry. Even on Palestine, I mean, 15 years ago, I remember seeing very little. It seems like there's more and more, you yeah. know, allowance. And alhamdulillah, that's a great thing. But I'm just mindful of the fact, yeah, there's political allowances happening. But I think when it comes to social values, the, the doors are all shut. I, uh -huh. I, I, I uh, interrupted you there. Apologies, man. No, 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 no. By, by all means, go ahead. Because it's interesting because now... Um, like you said, we've elevated, we've, we've given more importance to the political than to the social, to the moral, which is a huge crisis and it would lead to a crisis in a civilization if they only focus on the political. Because the thing about politics is that the political figures, they, it's, it's, it's the, for anybody who studied politics, you know it's the same thing over and over again. You, yeah. have the same, you have same structures, you have same oppression. It's just there's different characters doing it. There's different names. So politics, they, they come in and, in and out. But with social moral issues, that's the fundamental, crucial thing about the human being. And it's, it's, you know, this is where we get our moral teachings is from the Quran. And many, many historians, civilizational historians have pointed out at, at the fundamental importance behind morality. And when morality reaches a crisis, that's when civilization collapses. Um, yeah, so, you know, I think, I think you were saying... Uh, the moral is more important. I'm not sure. I have discussions with friends on this a, a lot. I think they're both important, the political and the moral. I'm just very aware that in the media now, for example, you have, uh, you know, what are they called? The, the sisters, uh, Hadid sisters, talking about Palestine openly. You have a lot of cool people talking about Palestine openly, which is a good thing. But again, I think there's, a, there's a allowances there. There's not allowances in other areas. Whether that's more important or not, I'm not sure. I think they're both very important. I think, you know, not to divert, but somebody who embodied the importance of both the political and the social, you know, par excellence was Malcolm X. And I guess we have a tendency now to kind of just focus on his political, you know, mm -hmm. um, enlightenment, but he was also very, he was a, 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 you know, a sharp social commentator as well. And I think as Muslims, we need to be in touch with both of those and maybe see him as a role model of marrying the two of those. Because I think a lot of our conversations tend to be, this is more important or this is more important. And I think, you know, our dean done in the best way marries the two of those. But that's that's maybe another conversation. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's interesting. Look, you have certain you have someone like Ilhan Omar or you have certain Muslim politicians, whether in the UK, whether in Canada or in the US, who openly espouse political views, which some of the political views, which we are, we're largely down with. Right. For example, very she's very she, for example, is one person who is very strong on her condemnation, for example, of Israel, at least in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and so automatically, you know, we jump onto the bandwagon. But then at the same time, we may listen to things which are so socially or morally unacceptable for us. And then what do and is then it's like, at what at what do we do at that stage? Do we elevate? Do we still claim her? Although she says these things about morality, but she says these amazing things on politics. Um, or do we just leave her? Uh, yeah, it's a huge, huge question that's way above my pay, pay grade, but <laughs> I would definitely see the value in kind of questioning what is being, you know, in terms of the, the, the you know, the Muslim figures who are gaining popularity, who are allowed positive, uh, positive, you know, kind of support in the media. What kind of things can they talk about? What kind of things can't they talk about? How's that changing? I think we need to be very critical about that and ask ourselves, I guess, what our responses might be. But it's a huge question, yeah. But I mean, and it's interesting because if you look at many of the influential Muslim public figures, um, 
largely in terms of uh, not in terms of what they do, like the main reason why they're like, for example, if they're a politician or an influencer, but largely their following is because of their political views. Yeah, it's not really somebody with strong social views that gains a big following. Yeah, I don't think that's I, again. I mean, I hope I'm wrong, but just my reading of the media uh, is that there's no there's no room for a conversation there. And that's something I guess that I've only come aware of in the last two years, because I guess when I was younger, I was more focused on the politics. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, you know, we kind of come up and we're kind of, you know, all guns blazing on politics. And we're not really thinking about other things going on. And then when we start to question that, or maybe because things are changing so quickly now, we start to see that there's no room in certain areas. And I think maybe to segue a little bit, people like Ilhan Omar and, you know, whether it's, you know, even you can step away from politics, you can look at people like Dave Chappelle. You can look at people like Aziz Ansari. Naturally, there's a lot, you know, there's a weight of psychological evidence that we do look up to people who are popular and who are deemed authorities. So again, I, I mentioned representation before and similarity. When somebody is also deemed to be an authority and is deemed to be popular, it also helps us fall in line with their views. So um, in behavioral science, they call it authority. In social cognitive... In, uh, social cognitive theory, i.e. Albert Bandura's branch of psychology, they talk about um, likability, I guess. So when somebody is deemed to, you know, reach positive outcomes, we're more likely to follow them. Um, so that's interesting then. If we're, if what we're saying is right in that there's a certain, you know, Muslim that's allowed to get ahead and they're allowed to talk about politics, but they're not allowed to talk about certain other things. What might that be doing then collectively to you know the Muslims who look up to the mm -hmm. look, up, look up to these people? And we are again. I want to remind that remind you that or remind myself even that we are designed to look up to people. And again, maybe we just need to look at the deen. That's why the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is we're, we're we're taught to try to emulate him and to love him and to remember him and to learn about how he approached this and how he approached that. There's a reason for that. I mean, our mm -hmm. dean wasn't, uh, you know, my, our, our dean is not human made. Our dean comes from the, you know, the source of, you know, the, that knows the, the most about human psychology. And that's why I guess we have that messenger that's very central to our lives. And why I'm, I'm not just talking, you know, I'm not talking about the importance of the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, which is given, but I'm more mentioning this just to kind of remind us that there's something in there in terms of our psychology and how we follow people and the fact that we're, we have an inbuilt propensity to follow people. Mm -hmm. And before that might have been religious men, that might have been tribal leaders, that might have been good people and bad people. Now I think there's a new class of people. You mentioned influencers before. It's not just influencers, I guess celebrities as well. They're being pushed as, I guess, the popular people. And there's something there in terms of lead they, they they can then lead us and they can lead our attitudes and our norms um yeah well you know it's interesting because like you said human beings are uh creatures of imitation uh, we all look for people to imitate um and it's interesting now with instagram now we have this concept known as followers and following right yeah. you're, you're you're following somebody you're following in their path it's and the arabic word uh, not necessarily which translates the same, but you know, it's like it's like the tariqa, it's the path, sure. right? You're going on that path by following this person. You're almost saying, Take my hand and take me. And it's interesting because we have the hadith that says, Al mirata mu'min, right? That the believer mirrors the believer, he imitates the believer. And there's so many hadiths about um uh about the idea of sitting with good people. Because you will emulate, you will, you will you will imitate their behavior. But if you sit with bad company, um, you'll actually be worse. And that's why there's a prophetically inspired wisdom that says um, that it's it's better to to sit in a in a company of uh, uh, it's better to be alone than to be in a company of bad people. But it's better to be uh, in a company of good people than to be alone, right? Because you're always you're always imitating, and so that's who that's what human beings are. They are inherently beings who follow and so now if you have this you know you have this muslim pakistani girl um who now is looking at tv and she's seeing this a woman who looks exactly like her um on the biggest stage on one of the biggest tv shows um there's a sense of relatability 
right? And that message, whatever that character says, because they resemble the person so much, right? Because there's an appeal to ethos, right? There's an appeal to ethos but, uh, in rhetoric. The message becomes so much more stronger. Sure. I think just a couple of things you mentioned there that are important. You, you, first of all, you talked about the Instagram followers. There's something about that where it's just so clear, the number of people who, who are followed. So where, whereas before we maybe needed a discerning eye to figure out who's popular, who's not popular. It's mm. just literally there put in front of us and it influences us. So this is, I guess, the second point based on what you said is that we do follow our, we, we are impacted by our surroundings. I think I used to, again, maybe when I was younger, I used to very much believe that, you know, I'm not somebody who's influenced by my surroundings. The more that I've studied psychology and the more that I've reflected on life as well, there's just so much evidence now building that we aren't as making, we, we don't make conscious decisions about every aspect of ourselves and our attitudes and our behaviors. There's just so much literature now building about how susceptible we are to influence and what's going on around us influences us and the attitudes of people around us influence us. There's one key study that I want to talk about, but I think maybe we'll get to that a little bit later if we have yeah. time. But behavioral science, the, the whole, it's, it's, it's a branch of psychology that's founded on the principle that there's two ways of thinking, system one and system two. System two is like the traditional way of thinking that we would think about when we say thinking. The, the person sitting in a room, being deliberative, taking their time, taking their effort, weighing up things. But behavioral science says that that's not the only way of thinking. There's also system one thinking, which is fast, which is automatic, which is very susceptible to bias, which is very susceptible to context. And traditionally, psychologists would have spent all their time focusing on system two. Mm -hmm. This is the conscious person, the rational person. Behavioral science now is a field that's emerged, sorry, that is just more focused on system one. And it has mixed results. Some of it is very effective. Other, other, other parts of it maybe are more open to challenge, but it's opened the door to challenge this idea that every, every human being is an island and you're not, you're not susceptible to, to those around you. And I think for our specific discussion about media, then it becomes very uh, pertinent mm -hmm. that we aren't as... Um, we aren't as much the captains of our souls as, as maybe we once thought. And again, if we look to our religion, there's indications there to that effect. Now, I don't want to go too far. I think there's a postmodernist idea that you're not thinking there's no such thing as free will and mm -hmm. things like that. I, I think that goes way too far off, off the edge. I think like a lot of things, if you look at our religion, it's, it's somewhere in between. The, there's the social and then there's the individual. And somewhere in between, you have an element of free will and that's what you're going to be judged on. And that's what you need to focus on. And tying it again, I guess, to the specific conversation about the media, are our values being represented or is there one stream of values that's being pushed and what are the consequences of that for the way people think about their religion and their attitudes and their behaviors? And I guess that's something that we could spend a lot of time talking about mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, you know, this... This and you know, Tamim is the one who actually introduced me to this topic of systems one and systems two theory, which is a theory which uh, gained popularity through the works of Daniel Kahneman and his book Thinking Fast and Slow. And I think that the title of the book is very interesting: Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow, because what he's doing is he's proposing this model of a two-system network: system one and system two. And he said thinking slow is systems two thinking, which is more slow, it's more deliberate, logical, it's very conscious. So for instance, if you're right now, for example, listening to this podcast and you're thinking deeply about it, or if you're reading a book and you know, you're know you pausing, you know, you're highlighting, you're questioning the author, that's one way we obtain knowledge. And that way is very, it's, 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 it's explicit. We know what we're reading um, and we are deciding whether or not we want to believe it. Um, and then there's the alternative model, which is called systems one. And this is what essentially we're getting at at this podcast, in which is the focus of social engineering is this implicit, um, emotional and fast way of obtaining information where you don't really know that you're obtaining information in the moment. So, for instance, when you're watching a TV show, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, there was that TV show that came out, uh, I think, two years ago called Messiah. 
And in the first episode, I remember I was watching it with my brothers and there was this student, This I think they were studying political science and they had this book with them, which was um, uh, Samuel Huntington's famous Clash of Civilizations, where, you know, he proposed this idea that, you know, the world is, there's, there's this clash of like the East and the West, um, which, and that idea really had a profound effect in leading to invasions of Iraq, Afghanistan, and so forth, which is a different conversation. But there's a politician um, who goes to that student and says, that's an excellent book. Uh, make sure you read it properly. I'm paraphrasing. And so when you read that, you know, and if, if, if you're aware of the book, immediately you're thinking, oh, yeah, that's a good book. And the information within that book is accurate. And you end up believing it. But there, there, there was no deliberate conscious decision of is that actually a good book? It's just you just inherently believe it because that's mm. what TV shows can do to you. TV shows can make statements. That's what movies do. A lot of movies, they have that one. The entire movie can be condensed into like that one legal maxim, that mm. one proverb, right? Um, for example, there's that movie, My Name is Khan and I'm Not a Terrorist. Like in the, in, in, in the name of a lot of these books, a lot of the TV shows is what they're trying to, is the message that they're trying to impart. And so like, and so the, the, main, the, the main thing I learned from that movie um, is that good and bad people are not based on their religion or their ethnicity. It's about what they do and what they don't do. Mm. Right. And, but it's not something I've thought about deeply, but it's something that, you know, now I actively believe it. And so these are the two ways we look at it. Um, and there's a lot we're going to talk about. Um, on this you know, what, just on that point, I'll yeah. ask, I advise your listeners or your, you know, your consumers to do something is to go and watch a TV show they watched as a kid. Watch a few episodes. I, I did the same. So I guess it was a show called Hey Arnold. And I remember seeing direct links in that show and in terms of my own value formation. Alhamdulillah, there was a lot of positive that I think I got from it. But then I also wonder what kind of negative or, or more problematic ideas I picked up along the way. That's, a, that's an exercise where you can see, especially for young children uh, or as, as a young child, where your ideas might have been shaped from. Um, I, I guess on what you said, you mentioned a couple of examples of messages in TV shows. I think there's two kind of lumps of evidence that we could talk about or, you know, that I've kind of thought about. One of them is speculative and it's looking at Muslim shows. And I haven't done any scientific research, but I've looked at the psychological, you know, literature. And then I've tried to kind of transfer that over to the, you know, for example, uh, Rami, you know, the show Rami or uh, Master of None by Aziz Ansari, or a, a load of other things. And then there's actual psychological scientific studies that have been done where people have used TV and media to shape attitudes and behaviors. And I think if we have time, that's something that we could, we could also talk about. Is, you can begin right now. But yeah, that's just, that's just an example then. That, so okay. I haven't done any, I, I wanted, this is a disclaimer, I haven't done any scientific research on Rami. But okay. I have looked at what the social and psychological theorists say about TV shows and found patterns or found something that they talk about in Rami. So, for example, if we want to talk about how, t how influential TV has been. So there's a huge scholar. She's at the University of Pennsylvania. She, her name is Christina Biccieri. She has a book called Norms in the Wild. Basically, it, it's her experience and her studies of using TV, uh, mainly soap operas, to make some pretty big changes usually in the global south and i think this global north global south dynamic is something that we need to be aware of because mm. academia tends to go in that way where you have the researchers and they're you know they're testing things on people from the global south and media also tends to go that way i think the us is the biggest exporter of media although there are you know some kind of more recent examples that, that kind of maybe go against that bollywood but that's it that's there it's also quite problematic in, in a number of different ways anyway Bicieri, um her 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 interventions have targeted things as varied as it's very social um, behaviors. And by all means, a lot of it is very good as well. For example, I, I guess some of her, her work has looked at, you know, promoting breastfeeding among certain communities. And if you know the history of what Nestle did in terms of going against breastfeeding and pushing their own formula and the harms that came from that, that's something that should be commended. But we look at other things like child marriage. Um, we can look at... Uh, uh, literacy, adult literacy. We can look at, um, I guess, female genital um, circumcision slash mutilation as well. That's something that 
tends to get targeted in, in, yeah. these, in these kinds of inter interventions. We'd see a lot of good there, but what we can also see is big social decisions being made or big, big, influ big pushes to, to shape social behaviors based using media. Um, I guess we could also talk about there's a in, in Mexico, there was one specific television producer who familiarized himself with the work of Albert Bandura. So Bandura's mm -hmm. social cognitive theory. Um, and he applied that to infertility, uh, not infertility, blacks, fertility rates in Mexico. And he was so successful that he was awarded the UN Population Prize for the impact that his wow. soap operas made on fertility rates in Mexico. Wow. Now that's so something did, did, did that's it increase? Or they, he decreased them. No, no, no. He decreased them. So did, is that what he wanted to do? He wanted to do that, yeah. And okay. I guess there's a lot of people. So the UN... Uh, or, you know, multinationals like the WHO, you know, they tend to kind of push for that on growing populations. Um, he, yeah, he, he was so successful. They, 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 they run out a raft of statistics about how successful he was in doing that. We can debate, you know, just how, how impactful he was, but what can't be denied, I think, is that he had a role. Um, one of the, just to kind of show you what can be done or how granular this can be, so he looked at Bandura's work and he's seen that, okay, I'm going to apply this to adult literacy. Literacy. So there was a push in Mexico at the time to get more adults learning how to read and write, which again is something that's very good. But he went further than just thinking, okay, I'm going to make a soap opera about it. He ran a study to see what, he ran a survey to see what the specific um, resistance was among illiterate adults. And he wove a seen in a soap opera episode that specifically targeted that. For example, one of the things that he found was he found an attitude among illiterate adults that they had this idea that literate people don't want to spend time with them. So he had a specific conversation in a specific soap opera that targeted that specific idea. And this is called updating a script. So we all carry scripts in our heads. These are social cognitive, these are cognitive structures about what we do in certain situations. And when you see somebody doing something, it can update your script. It can change a script you have, or it can let you venture into a new area. For example, if I challenge my parents about the fact that I want to eat pork, which is exactly what Aziz Ansari did in Master of None, in one episode of Master of None, it can show the consumer, okay, I can actually do this. And this is what might happen. And there might be resistance, but one of the key things that they say is, it, it's important for the media content to show that the, the hero um, reaches a positive outcome. Anyway, back to Miguel mm -hmm. Sabido. Um, so he weaves a, 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 soap, a conversation in a soap opera about this and scripts are updated. Just to give you an example of a script, this is something again from our dean. So we can think about ideas about how to behave in terms of like, let's just say in general. So, for example, we know that there's a sunnah that you should pray certain two rakahs at certain stages. One script that I've had that I found to be very effective is the hadith about the person who walked into the, the mosque when the Prophet was giving the khutbah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the khutbah, and he went to sit down and the Prophet told him, no, pray the sunnah. So that is showing, that's, a, that's an idea of giving you a script. It's showing you exactly that certain behavior. You go into the mosque, the certain context, the khutbah, the, the khutbah al-jum'ah is going on. But when you know that the Prophet وسلم, said that to that person, it, it gives you a direct way of behaving in that certain, um, mm. certain aspect. So that's one way then. So Miguel Sabido weaves this into his soap operas. And if we want to transfer it over, I think then if we look at that specific episode of Aziz Ansari's show, on it's called Master of None. There's one episode where it's basically about the fact that he eats pork and it's about his, his, his journey, I guess, to tell his parents that, as, as you know, somebody who's, his, his parents are relatively practicing Muslims, he's not a practicing mm. Muslim. And one of the key things, again, that comes from Albert Bandura's work is it's showing the individual meeting resistance and then showing them working through that. And it might sound so simple that it's, it's not very believable that it's effective, but I think, again, we think human beings are more conscious and more deliberative than... Mm -hmm you know, than they are. And when you think about a TV show, it's getting millions of viewers. If you shape the influence, if you shape attitudes or behaviors of 1% of a huge, you know, number that are watching, 
you're going to slowly change attitudes of people over time. Um, and that's a, uh, sorry, I've spoken for quite a bit. No, 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 no. We went, we went from, yeah, we went from uh, the idea of, you know, Miguel Sabido uh, and Christina Bacieri and their specific work using con media content and then maybe looking at how that has transferred over into certain Muslim, Muslim directed content as well. I mean, you know, the, if you look at, there's, there's, a, there's a Muslim TV show which has gone extremely viral in the past couple of years and has gone international, and that is Ertogo. Um, extremely successful TV show that has profound influence around the entire world. Um, and I'll, I'll give you, and there, there, I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's, uh, it's Erdogan's uh, brainchild that he made. And he clearly knew, I and mean, he's a brilliant man. He knew exactly what he was doing with that TV show. But I'll tell you, I'll give you one example of how profound this TV show is. You have little children um, in Vancouver, far away from Turkey. They're listening to a TV show, which is not even in English. Mm. And they are watching it with their parents and their parents are going to their local Muslim school and saying, why aren't you teaching my children about Ortogo? Why aren't you teaching them about the Ottoman empire? Mm. And so teachers are left now thinking, you know, how powerful is this TV show that now it's awakened in the Muslim conscious this notion of the Ottoman Empire and their specific brand of Islam. And so you have people now, you have an, you have an, you have a Muslim, and I know, I know these people, uh, great friends of mine. You have very average level Muslims who, you know, they're just doing their basics that they need to do, the very basics. And they are coming to me and they're saying, can you please explain to me who Ibn al-Arabi is? <laughs> a character who would only be known amongst, you know, the highest levels. I mean, our teachers say that they say even for them, it's haram to read his books because of how technical and controversial and difficult that book is to read. But now you're having, you know, an average day Muslim who is who now wants to know everything about them just from a TV show. And also what's interesting is in the subcontinent, um, I don't know how familiar you are with subcontinent dramas, but in the subcontinent, the most famous drama, not the, the famous drama type are the ones on divorce. Mm. And it's very interesting. Why is it that the yeah. most famous ones are on divorce? And what happens to the Desi parent complex or even the people who watch it is then they want to create their own stories of divorce. They want to yes. recreate what they're seeing in TV in their own life. So they're watching a drama and now they're wanting to create their own drama. 100%. You know, again, Miguel Sabido, that was one of the things also he wanted to promote. So if he wanted to target fertility, one of the ways was targeting marriage as well and showing... And they, they, they you know, it's not, I'm, I'm not being uh, conspiratorial. This is something that they talk about openly. They made sure then to focus on promoting women characters who are rarely married, who are successful in their careers. And this was to kind of push that lifestyle uh, on the consumer. And I guess my... I don't have a problem with people, you know, promoting that kind of way because that's a viable way for somebody to live. My problem, I guess, is that there's a limited range of lifestyles that are being promoted and we're not seeing, we're not accurately seeing, you know, Muslim alternatives to social, you know, approaches being put out there. Instead, we're seeing consistent narratives about religion being an archaic thing, religion being an unhealthy thing. Um, and it's very rare that you see media content that promotes that just shows religion to be positive. And I'm not even just talking about Islam now. I'm even talking about Judaism. I'm talking about Christianity, something that's not very rare. Uh, it's very rare. But I'm glad that you brought up one positive example, uh -huh. which is Ertogul, which again, <laughs> I'm going to show myself to be a very poor <laughs> interview. I haven't watched it, but I've heard, I've heard a lot about it through people. And I think that's an example of how things can be, as a, as a, from a Muslim perspective, how we can promote, you know, Muslim values, Muslim history in a positive mm. way, how effective one can be. I mean, I'm in the generation, the, the message, Film Arisale, it was made way before my time, but we grew up watching it. Mm. And I'm so grateful that we had that because stories, I mean, I'm sorry, we didn't really mention this at the beginning. The very core of this, you know, even before we talk about media content, we're talking about the importance of stories here. And again, I think until I started looking at the psychology of this, I used to think stories were, you know, okay, they're useful in certain contexts. Maybe I tied them with the oral tradition, 
maybe I tied them with, you know, traditional ways of living and kind of romanticizing that. I think when I looked at the psychological literature, I found the importance of stories. And mm-hmm. then it was only then, you know, I, I, I looked back and thought the Quran is, I think, one fifth, one third, one third, sorry, is, is made up of stories. Now, why is that? Why is the most elevated book, you know, the only book on the planet that is not coming from a human being, the only book on the planet that's perfect? Why is one third of it made of stories? What's the value of stories? Is it just about transferring information? Or is it about something more? Mm-hmm. So I think we've maybe overlooked the power of stories. Um, that's something that we need to do. And I think when we do it well, like Film Risale, like Ortogol, um, it can have a huge effect. And again, I mean, let's not, I, I don't want to be overly optimistic. I think I'm here. And what brought me to the topic was the fact mm-hmm. that I think there's a lot of negative stories being pushed. Yeah. And yeah. when you tend to see a Muslim character in a TV show or in a movie, they are only as good as they are leaving their religion or turning their back on religion. And just a small point, Ahmed, sorry, I don't want to talk for too long. Yeah, yeah, no, go ahead, go ahead. I'm, I'm okay with people showing, I'm okay with, you know, somebody leaving their religion and being shown as, you know, improving the, and, and, and it being portrayed as them improving their life. I'm sure that does happen. I'm sure people who leave their religion can experience benefits from it. What gets to me is that that's the only narrative that's shown. We mm-hmm. rarely ever see people becoming more religious and it actually being a positive influence in their life. And why that really irks me is because when I look around actually my own life and the people around me, I see a mixture of that. I do see people who leave their religion okay. Maybe they, they have benefits from it. Maybe they were thinking about their religion in an unhealthy way. But I know so many people that actually turning to Allah, turning to God was their saving grace. And that's just not something that we see portrayed. And I think we need to, we do need to put out stories that, that reflect mm-hmm. that reality. Um, but yeah, I mentioned a few different things there. So I, I'm not sure which way you want to take it. Bro. You just given me so many different doors to take in. First of <laughs> all, uh, I want to reiterate that I did not, me and my podcast team did not fall asleep on stories. The, the first podcast we ever did was titled The Power of Stories. Oh, um, wow. Subhanallah. The first podcast we did, it's, it's, it's still up. So we, we knew what we were doing. Um, because stories, um, I think, uh, as Plato said, um, tell me the stories you give your children and I will give you your culture. Um, and, you know, like you said, this lack of religion in today's society, not even just lack, but this hatred um, of religion as this misogynistic, patriarchal, backwards institution the vast majority of people have not arrived at that conclusion themselves. They have been social engineered to mm. arrive at that conclusion. And I'll give you an example from a TV show. Um, it's, a, it's a prominent TV show. I forget the name, but it's, it's about this Christian girl who's going on this journey. And there's a scene where she's on stage in front of all these Christians and she's doing a performance and she just stops all of a sudden and she looks at them and she just questions the whole religion. She's like, how does our religion solve, you know, the problem of evil? How does our religion solve this, 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 this? And the audience is just in shock. Mm-hmm. And what the director does is he, when she says that, the, he leaves a pause for the, for the audience to just think and reflect on what she's saying. So this is an example where you're seeing, for example, religious rates decrease. It's not really a logical argument. Really, the neglect of religion is largely an emotional one. Even people who leave the faith it has largely has to do with emotions. Oh, you know, this religion is not letting me for, fulfill this desire of mine. Or it calls for um, a morality which I don't necessarily agree with. Um, but that's an example of where social engineering is, is so pertinent. Um, mm-hmm. And just very quickly, this is a book I just wanted to mention. A really good book. Um, Joseph Campbell's uh, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. Um, for anybody interested in the realm of storytelling, what he does in this book is he lists out, um, he studies over, I think, a thousand different civilizations. And he sees that the archetype of the hero is the same in every single society. It's the same exact archetype. And what's very fascinating is when you watch TV shows now and you know the archetype, you know how it's going to end. Mm. And most importantly, when you read it, it's interesting because all these things show up in the seerah. In the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and it's very fascinating. Why do heroes? I mean, 
you know, when you watch next time you watch a TV show, think about this. Where is the hero's what what is the relationship the hero has with his parents? Mm. Usually he comes from a broken home. Mm. Usually he might be an orphan. Usually the father it might be just the father's passed away and the mother's there. Um the hero always has to go on this journey where uh, and the death of that parent usually, which is very interesting, the death of the parent usually is was ideological. Mm-hmm. There was something ideological that caused the parents to die, and the child lives with trauma. The child is adopted by a teacher, uh, this this sage, and they go on this journey together, one on one, where he teaches him, and he tells him, "When you come back, you're going to have to save the people." And then he comes back to the people with the new ability that he has. And now he fights the villain, and ultimately he defeats the villain, and he becomes the winner. And the Sira is the perfect manifestation. I actually want to do a, a podcast on just the Sira through this archetype. And so mm-hmm. it's it's interesting because it shows up in media all the time. And so now you're watching this show, you have this character who is now the hero. Now you want to embody that hero. And so what do directors do? Well, let's let's refine that character in a way that we want the people to imitate. Yeah, and so that's a, a positive model. You know, as you were rec- rec- as you were recalling the archetype, you got me in the mood to watch Batman, which I think also fits, fits that archetype, uh, that story arc so well. Yes, I think the desirability of the hero then is quite important. Uh, you know, social cognitive theorists talk about positive models, negative models, and transitional models. So there's characters that were shown that are positive. There's characters that are shown to be negative. And then there's characters that transition. They go on a journey. And I think they're the ones who are most effective in bringing other people along the journey as well. Um, mm. And that's the, that's the idea, I guess, of, you know, uh-huh. resisting and, and, you know, kind of overcoming the challenge and what values are being loaded onto that as well. And I think if you look, you know, to stay on the theme of Batman, the kind of inversion that's going on, and certainly not the first person to you know, mention that. There's been quite a lot of commentary on that. The fact that good and evil seems to be being inverted, especially with the Joker. Did you watch the Joker? Yeah. Um, and this idea of it becoming much, much blurrier in terms of who's right and who's wrong. And maybe that just fits in with the whole kind of postmodern morality. Um, mm-hmm. Exactly. That might be pushed. And if we go back then to the Quran, Ahsan al-Qasasi, Surah Yusuf, there's maybe a few things that we could look at there in terms of how then we could tell our stories. And one of the things that Yasir Qadi mentions is that the Quran doesn't go into the gritty details of what they do to him. They say that they're going to put him in the well. It doesn't really give you the, the full upsetting details of that. Even probably the most heated moment in the story when the woman, the Zawjat al-Aziz, Imra'at al-Aziz tells him, hey, talak. Even that, Yasir Qadi mentions that that term is almost, I, th- I think one of the theories is this colloquial term that isn't well known. And why that might be, uh, you, do you, do, I don't know if you're aware, do you know when there's a suicide on TV in a popular soap opera, suicides go up in the, in, wow. in the area that's watched. Uh, more positively, with, on the back of the Netflix show, um, the Queen's Gambit, the, the, yes. the one about chess, yeah. that drove up the sales of chess okay. boards yeah. so much by, I think, 150%. And the, the number of women, specifically young girls, because the main actress is a, the hero is a young, the heroine is a young girl, hero, sorry, um, is a young girl. And she um, she's a chess player. So that drove up, you know, women, young female participation in chess. So this is just showing you that these things just seeing somebody create you know commit suicide or seeing somebody play chess it creates a behavioral ripple and again we're thinking about millions of people watching so if you create a small if you if you impact on one percent of that that's a huge thing um so why i'm talking about this as well is that we seem to be living in in a time when the details are becoming more and more salacious we're being told everything that happens we're being shown everything that happens why is it that the quran didn't go down that route why is it why is it that Ahsan al-Qasasi did not go down that route? And I think, it's again, it's because it knows simply seeing or reading about certain things increases the likelihood of it, of it happening. And this is, this is one key study from Christina Bicieri, who I mentioned earlier, that I did want to talk about. It's this idea of you have normative expectations and empirical expectations. Mm-hmm. Normative expectations are what I think the people around me think I should do. 
-hmm. That's a normative expectation. The people around me, I think that they think I shouldn't steal. An empirical expectation is what other people around me are actually doing. Are people around me stealing or not? Mm -hmm. Both of these are influential. Both of these are very influential in terms of my behavior. Again, we're thinking about, we're moving away from the idea of every person being an island. We're seeing that people are very influenced by those around them. But which is more influential? Now, according to the study that she did, I think with, uh, with a co, with a colleague, um, I can't remember the year, but I can certainly, you know, send that to you or, you know, but it's, it's, it's a study, it's, it's mentioned in her book, uh, Norms in the Wild. She found that what people are actually doing is more likely to impact my own behavior. So if I'm seeing all these characters on media of Muslims, you know, doing whatever, drinking, you know, doing, you know, whatever social value that's, you know, that's right now being very strongly challenged, it's going to increase the likelihood in this mm -hmm. exactly. study of exactly. us doing it. And, and just, just seeing it. So even if we know that Islam says this is wrong, the more we're getting exposed to Muslims doing X, Y, or Z, the more likely it is to impact on our own behavior. Hmm. And then to, and then the act can start to become normalized. Yes. Yes. And, and something I, I wanted to mention earlier in the podcast, which I think is extremely profound, um, is that if you speak to an average person, uh, an average American, Canadian, anybody living in the West, and you mention the word Sharia, instantaneously, immediately, they're going to have like a little bit of a panic or some fear or anxiety. Um, and you think about it for a moment. Why is that the case? Why is it that a word, an Arabic word, um, referring to Islamic law, triggers, and that, that, that's the right word, triggers this emotion within the person? Well, it's because there's been this massive billion, if not trillion dollar campaign to demonize Islam, whether in the realm of movies, TV shows, media, whether it's a form of academic journals or books. All of that money was spent. And the only thing they really wanted they, the, those people, they didn't want the people to remember all the arguments against the Sharia. They didn't want to remember all the thinkers who proposed those arguments. The only thing they wanted with all that money, with all that power, is that, is that trigger. Mm -hmm. Just that alone. Just so that, that anytime they hear the word instantaneously, they, and Sheikh Hamza mentioned this in his podcast with Jordan Peterson, that... Um, uh, that the average the average Muslim the average American can't even think about thinking about Islam, mm. right? So there's this massive campaign, which has happened all, which is an excellent example of how this uh, this this institution of social engineering works, and what their end product is. And going back to behavioral science, so one of the so behavioral science is very concerned with biases, cognitive biases. So if you think about that system one, system two. System one is very susceptible to cognitive biases. One of the biases they've identified is the availability bias. If you hear an idea so many times or something becomes associated with something else so many times, you're more likely to believe it. So when we talk about Sharia, you're very right. It triggers something. Why is that? It's because we're never hearing about Sharia being a means to a dynamic indigenous way of finding ethics, finding an ethical life, treating people in a, in, in a way that's just and an equitable we're thinking about the, you know, the contentious issues of Sharia and the negative ideas there are around it. And it's very unnuanced. We're just being bombarded with it. And I think the media, again, whether we're thinking about the Sharia or we're thinking about story arcs about how Muslims approach their faith, we're only being shown one thing. There is room to criticize the Sharia. There is room to criticize applications of the Sharia. But I just want, you know, again, my own, my own, you know, irk is that we're not seeing, a, you know, a, a, uh, 360 degrees of that spectrum exactly. of the good and bad and the different nuances we're just seeing one thing and I think then that's why it becomes so important the work that you're doing by putting out media content to challenge that is so important but I think we also need to go further in terms of producing going back to your first episode stories uh, we need to push stories in the challenge I guess a lot of the, the, the kind of the myopic and you know singular story that we're getting about the role of religion in people's lives Mm -hmm. And that's why there's a need to use all of these different mediums, um, whether it's the mediums of poetry, of fiction, of podcasts, all of these institutions are used, um, are needed to use 
um, to uh, to propagate the message. Because um, everybody, like you're saying, everybody has a message. And there's nothing wrong with people. We have a message that we're trying to convey here, right? There's nothing wrong with uh, with trying to convey a message using these mediums. But the point is we just want people to think critically about the things and try to always, you know, use your systems to thinking, your conscious, explicit thinking when it comes to um, conveying information and acquiring information. Inshallah, yeah. And I guess if we're thinking about system one and system two as well, as well, there's maybe a role of setting things up to challenge attempts to really shape by way of system one. Um, so having Muslim representation, but also having a, a number of different um, uh, approaches to how characters, for example, approach their deen. And maybe Miss Miss, maybe Miss Marvel for its shortcomings is one way that might be doing that. But given mm -hmm. where it's coming from, I'm a little bit skeptical. But maybe inshallah, that's uh, inshallah, that's not found, well founded. Inshallah, mm -hmm. it is actually something that's, that's that's positive. Inshallah. And I just want to end on a. We have a beautiful principle in uh, in usul al fiqh which is the, the principles of Islamic jurisprudence that says, um, that before you can make a ruling or judgment on something, you have to first conceptualize it. You have to first really understand something before you can go out and immediately condemn it. So that's kind of the framework that I use with any of these new TV shows, movies, um, books, is just try to uh, t take the whole picture once I've understood the whole picture, I've seen it then to give the ruling. And so that's the way I'm kind of treating shows like Miss Marvel and so forth. Yeah, I mean, I, I went to watch, there's another, I don't know if you've seen a British show, Four Lions. It's a oh, comedy. amazing, amazing. Yes, and I, I went to watch it. it. I remember feeling I loved it, but I also was a little bit uncomfortable with the fact that people outside of the religion were watching it because I don't know how accurate it was in terms of portraying the religion. But I thought it was a very good piece of artwork. I'm like you. I'm. I wouldn't close the door on any kind of media, and I think it's important to know kind of what's out there and to be critical about it. And again, I mean, I, I really don't want to. I, maybe I'm, you know, exposing an insecurity here, but I don't want an, an Islamification of media. I just want more dynamic narratives out there and more realistic narratives out there. I'm really personally tired of. I, I mean, am I? Do you think I'm overreacting? Is it? Am I, am I simplifying it? Are there, are there positive approaches to religion in fictional and even non-fictional media? Do you see that? Yes, because I, I think it's a way of, way of conveying. Um, it's using a medium which is perhaps one of the most successful um, yeah. at conveying messages. And so I think with you can convey any message successfully using those mediums. So why not use religion but as, as, as Urtukul has done? Sure, I think I'm uh, cut off there a little bit, but it, it, like, okay, articles coming from Turkey in terms of British, American, maybe this is showing as well my Western centri centri centrism. Do you know any movies or, or TV shows that showed religion in a positive light? Even forget about Islam. I have a couple. I mean, uh, there's, there's one or two that I have, but it's a very small minority. It's, it is a minority because, again, the, the, the popular culture um, has decided that religion is backwards and anybody who follows mm. it is really backwards unless it's a reformed version of it again and not reformed at the political level but at the social level at the moral exactly. level and actually just one signpost for your for your viewers as well if they want to see religion approached in a dynamic but beautiful way is the work of terence malik so he's a christian he is a he he won palm, the palm door for his uh, uh movie tree of life he has, I think, a, a more nuanced even take on a, in a movie called Song to Song um, that I think he, you can, if you watch his shows, you'll see he's, he has to be very delicate in how he approaches subjects, but he's putting a, 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 an intelligent religious message there. And I think that's also something, inshallah, we'll see. I'm sure there's a whole generation of Muslim filmmakers and media make, content makers who are doing this, but maybe it's just my focus has been on mainstream media. Mm -hmm. And, um, we, and we, we do have a podcast coming up soon um, with um, with a figure um, on this topic. But I'll just briefly mention because it's related. And I really want you to watch is there's this new Saudi anime called uh, Rihla. It's called The Journey. Um, and they hired the largest anime company in the world 
to make it. They invested about 10, 15 million dollars into this movie. Um, and it's 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 the story of basically the story of the elephant in the Quran. And so it's a story about the the Arabs at that time going against Abraha. And it's very high quality production. You're talking about the highest of highest quality production. Um, and it tells a story of a man trying to defeat Abraha and central to his message is God and his belief. And so stories are shown, uh, flashbacks are shown of the story of Nuh salam, the story of, um, uh, of, uh, of the, the people of Ad and their destruction and the story of Musa salam, all as flashbacks because the character is showing to people like the people in the past, as long as they were with God, they always won at the end of the day. That was like the maxim of the show. That sounds like a very good piece of work. How can I, do you know how, is it, is it, is it available? It's, just, if you, it, it's available for free online. You can just search the journey, um, the journey anime uh, movie full and, uh, and, and it, it will come up. It's, it's brilliant in terms of its production. Um, and it just came out, um, I think about less than a year ago. And I think mm. Netflix or Amazon is buying it soon. So then we'll see whether or not how big it gets, but um, it was a step in the right direction. Definitely. Sounds like a very good, good piece of work. Yeah. So that's, I, I would, I, I would encourage everybody to watch that. Um, but I, th I think we've gone enough for today, Tamim. Um, thank you for joining us. It's always a pleasure um, to have you and especially bring in, because I say a lot of random things, but then when you bring the psychological data up, uh, it makes me realize I'm not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Jazakallah khair. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate your time, your energy, bro. Jazakallah khair. Inshallah, everybody, we will see you soon. Um, look forward towards our next uh, podcast. I think you'll find it uh, very intriguing and interesting. But Jazakumullah um, khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.